Welcome to Frontier 3, presented by PatSnap. In this 20-episode podcast series, we'll be unpacking the innovation ecosystem of Web3. From tokenized physical goods to the digital assets and smart contracts that will build the metaverse, Web3 is one of the biggest technological and socioeconomic paradigm shifts in history. Join PatSnap's co-founder, Ray Chohan, for a fascinating deep dive into how Web3 will fundamentally change how we live, work, and play. Welcome to Frontier 3. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Episode 9 of Frontier 3, presented by PatSnap. In today's episode, our host, Ray Chohan, sits down with Mark Phillips. Mark is Helium's Vice President of Business Development and one of the company's earliest employees. Powered by the Helium blockchain, the People's Network represents a paradigm shift for decentralized wireless infrastructure. Helium was founded in 2013 by Sean Fanning of Napster, Amir Halim, and Sean Carey. The company is backed by Coastal Ventures, formerly Google Ventures, GV, First Mark Capital, Mark Benioff, amongst many others. You are all going to absolutely love today's episode with Mark Phillips. Enjoy. Today's episode is brought to you by PatSnap. Learn how to unlock your limitless innovation potential with connected innovation intelligence. CII is an AI-powered technology that comes through millions of disparate data points, segments them by industry and relevance, and weaves the insights together to create a meaningful narrative. The result? A holistic 360-degree market view where you can easily spot risks, identify opportunities, and accelerate the pace of innovation. We created the definitive guide to connected innovation intelligence to give you an in-depth understanding of how CII can help your business innovate better. If you want to grab a copy of this, head over to patsnap.com or click the link in the description of this podcast to get it today. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode. Mark, welcome to Frontier Free. Uh, really excited to have you on the show today. And it'll be great to kick off with your background story on, because I can see you gradu- graduated from Syracuse University back in 07. So it'll be great to kick off with your career arc. Yeah, uh, happy to do that. And thanks for, for having me on the uh, on the podcast here, Ray. Um, my career arc is uh, a little bit non-typical for what I'm doing, but I guess that's you know, not too surprising. So as you mentioned, I, I, uh, I went to Syracuse University in, in New York State here uh, in the United States, studied political science with a minor in French and managed to apply pretty much none of that, quite frankly, uh, after leaving university. And then um, you moved to the Boston area. I'm, I'm from, uh, from Massachusetts and, and moved to the Boston area sort of looking uh, for something to do professionally and ended up working for a company called Basho Technologies, which at the time was making this sort of sales optimization platform. Um, and I, 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 uh, I joined them as a writer. So basically I was writing sales pitches for salespeople, which is a, a hilariously sort of meta uh, thing to do. And then sort of worked in a, a few different roles there uh, until the company actually shuttered due to sort of lack of funding. But I had the, the ability to work amongst a, a group of remarkably brilliant engineers and sort of learned a lot about how technology and, and sort of engineering worked in that role. And then what happened with, with Basho was, um, you know, most of the company uh, was unfortunately laid off because we couldn't raise money. And that's sort of a longer story, which we can get into over drinks. Uh, but 
um, the core engineering team stuck around to basically take this database that the company had built, something called RIAK, R-I-A-K, and you can sort of still find people using it on the internet. And it was a, an open source distributed key value store. Uh, and so the company sort of pared down to about seven engineers, the CEO, the, the CTO, the CEO, and myself. I sort of was lucky enough to, um, to be kept around, uh, sort of accidentally managed to keep the job by calling up my boss saying, hey, I'd like to buy my computer because I don't have one. He said, well, come in and work a few days and, and you can have it. And then from there, uh, we went off and tried to sort of um, build the database at the storage layer for the sales platform into something uh, interesting. And so um, I grew into a sort of a sales engineering and community development role there at Basho. And then after about six years, uh, one of my colleagues at the company, a guy named Sean Carey, ended up co-founding Helium, along with Sean uh, Fanning and Amir Halim, our, our CEO. Uh, and he asked me to come over and join Helium to run business development uh, about eight years ago. I think my eight-year anniversary is next week, which is which is pretty wild. Uh, so that, that's sort of how I ended up here at Helium. Congratulations. I, I really appreciate that on your LinkedIn profile. You've got this really meaningful tenure at Basho and congrats, eight years at actually a business which is in Web3. That's a rarity. Yeah. It's, ter- it's terrifying, but thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the 0.01% for sure when it comes to tenure and, and time in market. So you walk through the door, walk through the door at Helium in, in February 2014. What was the business like back then and how have you guys evolve to a web three business model because correct me if I'm wrong, the business didn't really start off with a, a web three thesis. Uh, yeah, I will not correct you because you are not wrong. No. Uh, so when the company was founded, um, so Amir and, and Sean Fanning had uh, met through uh, some mutual friends, uh, primarily in, in the space of gaming. And so through those conversations, uh, they started to talk about the idea of building something for, for connectivity. They actually had a few uh, peers who were building companies that needed to connect devices to the internet. And a ton of the, you know, the options, they'd be things like cellular and Wi-Fi and crazy things like Zigbee, um, didn't really work very well. So they said, well, we're not doing anything. Let's, let's give this a shot. And so that was the genesis for starting Helium. Um, fun fact, the company was actually called Skynet when it was founded. Uh, if you look far enough back, you can find some press releases about this mysterious company called Skynet raising money. Uh, and so Helium was was very much a, sort of a, a commercial organization that was building uh, public wireless networks. And there, there was not any sort of uh, blockchain component to it at that point. And so uh, when I joined uh, in 2014, the mission was to build a public open wireless network, but it was through somewhat sort of traditional mechanisms, which was you'd go out and you would sign customers who had a use case for connecting, you know, a, a foot traffic sensor to the network. You would sell them some hardware to deploy in their building or on their building or inside of their warehouse. And then uh, they would procure the sensors and they would they would put these on the network. And then the, the cloud piece was very basic, you know, data from sensor to the network, back to a, a cloud endpoint. At that point, the cloud, of course, was much less uh, mature than it is now. So there was still a lot of people running this in private data centers. And then they would build applications on top of this stuff. And so we, we built various versions of this product for about five years. Uh, and then leading into the most recent funding round, so the Series C raid, so seed, uh, raise rather, seed, A, B, and then C, uh, which was led by Multicoin and um, Uniscore Ventures, that was back in May 2019. Up until that point, we were still building traditional, it wasn't traditional in the sense uh, because it, it was public and sort of open, uh, but there was no sort of Web3 blockchain component to it whatsoever. 
Um, the shift for us happened uh, sort of out of a confluence of necessity and um, you know the available tools on the market. Right around when we started talking about uh, this crazy idea of sort of incentivizing people to build coverage, um, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum were becoming. I think they're having sort of their second um, surge in popularity. You know, we used to walk around the San Francisco office sort of talking about uh, you know how we might put the Bitcoin blockchain onto hardware and have people operate this in their house. Uh, but but ultimately, you know, we decided to to build something brand new from scratch and sort of have a go at this you know, wild experiment uh, of of incentivizing people to create the coverage that was required for IoT or, or Internet of Things use cases. Because what ended up happening in most of these enterprise deployments previous to, let's say, 2000, you know, middle 2018, was that people would want to use the infrastructure, but no one wants to maintain a wireless network if that's not their core business. So we kept hitting that wall. And so we, we basically went back to the drawing board and said, let's just try something absolutely crazy here. And this thing called blockchain is getting somewhat popular. Can we integrate this into the hardware that we're selling and distributing and make the network coverage go a lot faster? Um, and that has you know, exploded in, in such a wild way that, that no one even imagined could be possible at Helium. Just pausing there, I just want to unpack one key point for the audience because a lot of our audience are folks on LinkedIn. So mm -hmm. folks who've spent most of their career in Web 2 um, are probably exploring Web 3, but let's face it, Mark, probably at scale don't really get it they kind of get it from a distance so just to put a pin in so initially the business is trying to scale uh, a wireless network and the original thesis was we could now go to say mom and pop shops warehouse owners any business location and in essence ask them would you like to run some would you like to be part of the network so have some picks and shovels and hardware to be part of this network but at that time there actually wasn't no real incentive in terms of feedback loop to those different nodes on the network is that right so you were going to them in a kind of evangelical fashion but there was no real what's in it for me for doing this for helium is is, is that correct yeah that's mostly correct right basically at that point we were selling something specifically catered to the iot use case so one example for example one example is uh, uh, we used to actually have a product, I think it was called Pulse, so Helium Pulse. And this was a prepackaged uh, cold chain monitoring product. And we would go to, um, you know, quick service restaurants, McDonald's, Kava Grill, that sort of company, and say, listen, you've got a bunch of refrigerators. Uh, you probably don't know what the temperature is. If you do know what the temperature is, someone's doing it, you know, by hand on a clipboard once every 10 hours just to make sure that they're checking boxes. Uh, but, you know, in some cases, you know, sushi restaurants have a quarter million dollars worth of inventory that might just go bad in the middle of the night because somebody unplugged something. So as an example, as a sushi restaurant, we, we know this from market research and talking to customers uh, at that point, you, know, you might have a quarter million dollars worth of inventory in a sushi restaurant in a refrigerator. And a lot of the times these things just fail in the middle of the night to a compressor issue or, you know, someone unplugging something accidentally. Uh, and so we would sell a solution that would monitor that. And it was great. There was a dashboard uh, that would that would show you real time data. You get alerts on your phone. Uh, but but to your to your earlier question, there was no real incentive uh, for the people deploying the network outside of the fact that they did get some value from it uh, in that use case, which which of course is is extremely valuable. And that's that's ultimately what the network is about. But at that point, we were selling specifically to you know a business need versus building this this community of people who were incentivized to build a network and use it. So, so use case one was, for example, let's look at that. 
refrigerator monitoring IoT capability. So, so that was probably more of a classic subscription model, like enterprise software and hardware, where if I am a sushi restaurant, like Yo Sushi, for example, which is a brand here in the UK, I might go, actually, would love to have the product, would love to have the front-end software because, yeah, we do have inventory which perishes due to things which happened with refrigeration. So at that time prior to adopting the Web3 model, was it like a classic subscription-based model then, back back then? It it was, yeah. I'm forgetting the exact pricing, but it was some combination of the cost of hardware plus um, a monthly subscription to the service that sort of tailed down over time as you pay down uh, the the hardware or the CapEx, I guess. And, you know, the, the buyers for that product are, you know, facilities managers, heads of operations, if it's a smaller outfit, it's the C- CEO or the CTO. But yeah, that's exactly what the model is. What was the network model in that model then of having the more you have on the network, what's the what was the wider value to the to the community, the more customers we have? What was that was that part of the story and part of the, the long term value prop? We, we we plan for that to be part of the story. The issue is that it just takes so much coverage for it to be useful in a public sense. Meaning um, if you look at the Helium network now, where we're well over 500,000 gateways, we have extremely meaningful coverage in many countries throughout the world. Um, Deploying with the previous model, we may have gotten there, uh, but there was really no incentive to make people go faster. So so, I remember that we did use this sort of in our pitches and sort of as part of our strategy. Uh, but we we just hope to get there over time, over you know by by massively sort of deploying this wireless network through our customers. Okay. Uh, we we certainly would not have gotten to where we are now in terms of the amount of coverage um, if we had stuck with that model. Okay, great. So so I want to be really pointed here because your your story is fascinating. What was the specific kind of month moment business conversation where the business said, "Let's go Web three. Let's go on the blockchain." this is the way to build that ultimate incentive structure stroke feedback loop. What exactly happened? Uh, it'd be hard to, to pinpoint it to a date. I mean, a, a time range would be sometimes toward maybe the middle uh, of 2018. Uh, from a company perspective, you know, we had tried, you know, I mentioned that we, we built this vertical solution for temperature monitoring. The company's sort of um, uh, specialty is building distributed systems. And we never really wanted to build a vertical solution for IoT. The plan was we would try a few verticals and sort of prove that they were useful. If they got successful enough, we you know, sort of sell off the business unit to somebody who was interested in running it. But but the company, you know, Amir and the engineering team, and a lot of the engineering team came from Basho, the company that I came from. Um, and so at least a lot of the, the early engineers. Um, and so the, the desire was to always build resilient, scalable, distributed systems. And so, um, you know, I would say sometime around the middle of 2018, uh, I believe what happened was one of the engineers, a guy who goes by the name of Bone, said, uh, I'm, I'm, Bones isn't his actual name. <laughs> That's what we call him <laughs> at the company. Uh, his name is Andrew. Uh, he said, you know, I'm going to write a white paper. Everyone who does these blockchain projects has a white paper. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to take a pass at one that would describe how we would build a decentralized open IoT network using a blockchain incentive model. Uh, and that's that's really sort of what started. And, it was, you know, we'd been sitting around having a bunch of drinks, sort of kicking around ideas to basically save the company. Because at that point, although we had raised you know, 37, 38 million U.S. worth of funding, um, none of our, our models were working. And so we pretty much only had one more shot at it. Um, yeah, so I, I would say it was in the back half of, of uh, 2018 where we really decided to make the switch. And it was just based on some crazy exploration. At some point, Amir said, I mean, this might just work. Uh, so let's go for it. Awesome. So you kind of, someone internally 
picks up the bag and said, Hey, I'm going to spin up a white paper. Uh, the founders leadership like yourself are like, actually there's, there's actually legs to this. Let's just do it. Was that literally the moment where you, let's just execute and, and run an experiment? Yeah, that, that's pretty much what it was. And our engineering team is, is so, so sort of hungry and talented that, um, you know, it's likely that as that white paper was being produced, somebody else was off writing code for a proof of concept, right? So we probably had something working very quickly. Um, and we determined that the existing technology in the blockchain space, and primarily Ethereum and, and Bitcoin, those blockchains were not going to work for us. Uh, due to the requirements of, of how the Helium blockchain operates, and maybe we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but it's a ridiculous proposition to say, well, you know, we'll save the business by, <laughs> by building a blockchain <laughs> and, and layering, layering a wireless network onto it. Nobody wants to build a wireless protocol. Nobody wants to build a blockchain. Um, I would still generally advise people not do that. Um, I think if you talk to our engineering team, nobody would want to, want to do it again. Uh, yeah. So, so you, you make that change in, in 2018. Is that when Multicoin come in or did you guys start building momentum with kind of number of customers stroke revenue where they came in? What, what was the story behind Multicoin jumping in? Yeah, so, so um, you know, Multicoin along with Union Square Ventures ended up leading the, the C round of funding that we did in May 2019. Uh, you know, they were not involved, to my recollection, in the sort of very early conversations around integrating and writing what, what became the Helium blockchain. Uh, but we, we did we did talk to them a while before they ended up leading the funding round. Um, those guys, you know, Tushar and Kyle and the entire team uh, have been, you know, they were extremely instrumental from the beginning, um, you know, outside of the fact that they have deep knowledge and sort of uh, you know, the technology and the economics of blockchain, they were instrumental, for example, in sort of suggesting this data credit mechanism that we have, uh, which basically enables us to, to build real utility around the token. It also has some really nice properties when it comes to making uh, the Helium network usable to people who don't want to actually interact with the cryptocurrency at all. Uh, yeah, so, so they, were, they were a huge part of success for sure. Makes sense. So, so unpacking now the core value prop, now you're fully kind of all in on Web3, like, what is Helium today? Like, what is the the vision and mission and the value prop of the organization? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So today, in sort of the, the easiest uh, and most straightforward terms, uh, the Helium network uh, is the largest contiguous wireless network in the world. Uh, it's also probably the largest blockchain in the world. We don't talk about that too much. We probably will more in the future. Uh, but, you know, we've got over 5,000 full nodes running on the Helium blockchain. And so... Uh, but again, more importantly, it's the largest wireless network in the world. It specifically uh, is made at this point to, to send data from IoT devices, small devices. Um, and we believe that we have a shot at being the largest uh, wireless network, uh, the largest decentralized wireless network uh, in the world uh, within the next five to 10 years. So that's where we are currently. And so the value proposition uh, is, is sort of two-sided. For people who want to have a stake in building something brand new and transformational. Um, it's as easy as acquiring a, a $400 piece of hardware and spending 10 minutes to set it up and then becoming part of this decentralized network. Um, for users of the network, and, and again, all this really drives towards is utility because that's all we care about in the end. Um, we hear day in and day out from large companies and small companies, but mostly large companies that have use cases for an IoT network, but we're not able to do it 
because the network just didn't exist. And so um, that's really the important takeaway here is that we now have given people the ability from a utility perspective to send data from devices back to a cloud application that, that you know powers GPS location trackers and sort of mission critical supply chain and logistics pieces um, on this open decentralized wireless network. Okay, makes sense. So to simplify it further, is there a future state where it's retail, local grocery shops who participate in the Helium network? So they buy a 400 pound device and they're now a, a node on the network. Is that in essence the most, how it would look like now and, and, and in the future? I mean, I'll, that's a current state, right? We have, so, so what's fascinating about how this gets deployed is that you know, the typical journey for someone who wants to, to sort of create coverage, uh, you know, they, uh, there's not so many early adopters now, of course, because we're, we're a few years into this, uh, but one learns about Helium on a message board, they're on Reddit, they're on Twitter, they see this thing about a blockchain uh, for IoT, they do some research, uh, they buy a piece of hardware and they deploy, it's called a hotspot. So they deploy a hotspot in their home and then they get very sort of addicted to the mechanism of deploying it because the community, um, aside from being attracted by the incentive mechanism, is actually very committed into changing very committed to changing the way that wireless networks are deployed. So they tell, you know, their parents, they tell their sister, they tell their neighbor, they tell, um, you know, <laughs> the, the, the person running the grocery store. And what's what's the, typically the limiting factor to how much someone can contribute to the community and create in terms of coverage is locations to deploy hardware, right? You probably have an apartment um, you might have an office where they'll let you deploy something like this, or maybe you own your own office and you put it there. Um, and for most people, that's pretty much it. Um, we're now starting to see the, the sort of emergence of very well-funded and very sophisticated coverage deployers that might own towers. They might lease tower space from traditional companies like Crown Castle in the United States. Um, they're talking to billboard companies. So people are, are doing fascinating things uh, to actually deploy coverage. And then you know, to your specific suggestion about grocery stores, what happens is after someone learns about how the economics work and the actual use of the network, they then actually go about forcing utility. What I mean by that is they say, well, great. You know, I live in, uh, I don't know, Topeka, Kansas. I've got 20 hotspots running. I want to deploy another 50. What is it that I can do to convince people to put this in their location? And sometimes what they do is they they share a percentage of the mining, right? So they'll say, I'll give you 20% or 30% of HNT. But more and more what we see is people saying, hey, listen, you're a grocery store operator. Um, you have some refrigerators. There's a bunch of pre-built sensors that I can take and put into your refrigerators and I can deliver you this very nice dashboard uh, and I'll do it all for free or I'll do it all for you know $5 a month per sensor. Um, and that gets the network deployed extremely quick. And what's sort of amazing about that is that if you recall the story before about that vertical application, we didn't want to build that. We just sort of felt that we had to to prove that the network had utility. And now the community is actually forcing that utility for us. It's quite fascinating. Wow, this is fascinating. This model, this this naturally incentivized model, you in essence build the world's largest decentralized sales force in essence because A, they're part of the network themselves. Say someone in an apartment will have a node. But then to your point, Mark, at Thanksgiving, tell family and friends and then continue evangelizing at their local grocery store and, and the list goes on and on. So... What does that look like now? And obviously, then you mentioned the B2B side, which is interesting where you're getting people who might have access to specific towers or other types of kind of localized infrastructure where they're kind of connecting at mass. So so simplifying it at the more retail level, what does that look like for you guys now? Is it, 
is it exponential in terms of the uptake where you're getting folks approaching helium and, and wanting to be part of the network well, like, what does that look like do i send an email to you where you send me a device like, what does yeah. that actually because i know all our friends say okay ray how does that work do i have an app on my phone where he are constantly sending devices to people i kind of right. proposed a network to what, what does that look like in in practicality terms yeah it's gone through a few phases so when we first started so the first hotspot came online i think it was july 29th 2019 and so the strategy was to start with one city in the United States. We started with Austin, Texas, for a variety of reasons. Um, we sort of determined that there was a lot of forward-thinking technologists down there. There were some crypto fans. Uh, and so we, we pre-sold, uh, I think it was 150 Helium hotspots into the Austin market. And we launched the network. We, we kicked off the blockchain. The first HNT was mined at the Genesis block uh, roughly uh, July 29th, I would say August 1st, 2019. And at that point, Helium Inc. Uh, was was manufacturing and selling and supporting Helium hotspots directly. So we built the first version of this for a variety of reasons. Um, the wireless technology that we use is known as LoRaWAN, uh, which is a, a specification that's owned by a company called Semtech, uh, which builds the silicon that does the wireless protocol. But it's generally an open specification, so we, we use that for the wireless. Uh, and we had to build a blockchain miner. And there was, there was you know, 30 companies that were building LoRaWAN gateways at the time because as a, as a protocol, it was gaining some momentum. It didn't have a ton of usage, but it showed some promise. And so we decided to use that. But none of the existing hardware could handle the Helium blockchain requirements, even though they're, they're, they're quite minimal compared to, to other blockchains. Um, and so we built the first version of the hotspot. We built and manufactured, I think, about 17,000 of, of those. And so those were the first gateways on the network. And then we, along with the community at that time, and this was, uh, that would have been 2020, made a, a very sort of specific decision to open up the manufacturing pipeline for other companies uh, to manufacture helium-enabled gateways. And so along with that, um, we have pretty much moved out of the business of, of sort of instigating coverage creation. I used to spend a lot of my time, you know, working with people who wanted to deploy 10, 50, 100 gateways and sort of um, help them uh, acquire those and sort of give them advice on locations and, and, and talk them through the whole process. We generally don't even touch that anymore, only because the coverage engine is, is really just, you know, working now. Um, you know, we add, I think, 3,000 or 3,500 gateways a day, which is pretty staggering through 3,000 miners to the network every single day. Uh, we've got about 40 uh, different companies that are approved by what's called the Decentralized Wireless Alliance, which is the foundation that governs the network. Um, and so these are companies like Seed and Bobcat and Tectelic um, and 35 others. And there's another 30 in the queue that are manufacturing gateways uh, that should be approved in the next uh, two or three months. And so, so to that specific question, we don't spend too much time actually on coverage anymore. Um, it, we're, we're spending a little bit more time thinking about how to instigate different wireless coverage creation. So cellular, Wi-Fi, for example. But when it comes to the sort of core LoRaWAN gateways, that's entirely in the hands of the community now. Uh, and the ecosystem is remarkable and sort of accelerating that still. Wow. So, so this is really key. This is what I want folks on LinkedIn to really understand. Like what you've described there is, I mean, it sounds like utopia, Mark, because I know, but I know the execution must be so hard. It's blood, sweat and tears. What you and the team have done is, is exceptional. I know there's lots of nitty gritty and execution and effort behind this. But is it fair to say now you've approached a part of that exponential curve where 
gateway uh, providers, be it retail, be it smaller local businesses doing things at mass, and now you've got the alliance on the hardware side, the incentive mm-hmm. loop is built now. Like the flywheel is going where, be it you're a hardware provider as a part of the alliance family or a gateway provider, be it retail, be it more B2B at mass, everyone's just kind of all in because the incentive model is accretive to everyone who helps the network scale and, and operate effectively. Is that is that the lay of the land now? Yeah, that's entirely right. That's, in, that's entirely right. I mean, we have, uh, you know, as I mentioned, there's about half a million LoRaWAN gateways that are online uh, now. We've been told through our manufacturing partners that there's upwards of 3 million additional chipsets that have been procured to build hardware just for the LoRaWAN line. So, um, yeah, so, so that is that is operating as, as we could have hoped. Um, you know, we've certainly reached escape velocity when it comes to the incentive mechanism aligning with creating coverage. Uh, so, yes, that's working now. And, and unpacking some of the economics. So we're going to have a lot of folks here from B2B enterprise software, marketing, all types of tech companies. A lot of our listeners work in R&D. Actually, some of the folks in the alliance might be even mm-hmm. customers. So we've got quite a broad audience. What do the economics and incentive structure? First, let's start with kind of mom and pop or retail. Say it's a bright 22-year-old who's just graduated, all in on Web3, is a helium token holder anyway because he or she just loves your mission. Like, how does the economics work for that individual who decides to be a gateway operator at home or in their apartment in downtown New York and then kind of scale that network? Like, what do the economics and the incentive look like in, in the most simplistic format? Yeah, so I'll say that they're they're generally um, uniform across across sort of all demographics. So though there's there's two incentives to deploying the network. Uh, one is, and I'm going to talk specifically about the the LoRaWAN and IoT incentive because for for future versions of of or for future wireless protocols that get added to the blockchain, and we do have those starting to come online now. The economics, of course, will still be based on HNT. Uh, but but will be slightly different uh, sort of in the specifics. But for LoRaWAN and IoT, we uh, we started with uh, incentivizing just raw coverage. So the blockchain uh, at this point, uh, when it was launched, it was slightly different. But now uh, about 67% of all HMT goes to hotspot operators. And within that 67% of HMT, uh, most of it goes to people actually just deploying raw coverage. So to your example, um, this this person buys a, a hotspot, they deploy it in their home or business, they put it online. And to get it online, you have to just give it power and give it backhaul. So usually Wi-Fi or Ethernet, but increasingly cellular. And then just from that simple act, you're providing coverage and the hotspot will, will continue to provide coverage, but in the process, do something called proof of coverage which is to emit radio packets and also sort of capture other radio packets from hotspots that are geographically proximate. So that's the primary incentive mechanism, just simply providing coverage. Over time, uh, the proof of coverage algorithm is weighted to to push more uh, HNT to people who are actually providing coverage for real devices. So real devices are, you know, the, the examples we've just talked about with, with um, refrigeration monitoring. Um, one of my favorite devices is a, a Helium-enabled rat trap from a company called Victor Mouse Traps in the United States. Um, I've, got, I've got like if we have if I had my camera up, I'd show it to you. I show it to everybody that I can. I've got about five running in my house because we live in an older house, and sometimes we catch mice. But every time this trap 
you know, uh, has a, a mouse sort of wander into it, it sends a packet back over the Helium network uh, that ends up in a, a phone app that says, hey, you know, go check, check Trap7. Um, there might be something there. And so um, over time, the network incentivizes um, more about data routing from devices versus raw coverage. But you, you earn as an operator on the network or a host, as they're called, uh, HNT for, for both of those activities. And so really, um, the, the two things that dictate it are the sort of quality and breadth of coverage that you can provide. And what I mean by that is, um, if you look at a city like New York, uh, there is a tremendous amount of helium coverage. I think there's something like 3,500 or 4,000 hotspots in the sort of five boroughs of New York. We probably don't need that much coverage. And so what happens there is that uh, using a mechanism called transmit scale, basically you're, you're rewarded less than you could be because there's too much helium coverage. Conversely, if you're you know, a scrappy individual that wants to deploy 10 hotspots in an area where there's none, um, you will be providing net new coverage to the, to the network um, and you'll likely earn at a higher rate versus someone who puts one in Los Angeles or London or um, you know, Paris due to the fact that there's less coverage in that new location um, and it's not as saturated. And so the network weights it more heavily, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And what does it look like? I mean, say you get someone who's bright, young, enthusiastic, they're already started developing coverage for your network. Does Helium enable them directly as well? So send them enablement content, support, allowing them to speak to, say, local businesses or a, a local factory, which is around the corner from their apartment, and they should be using the Helium network. Like, what does that process actually look like? Because they're not full-time employees of the business, right? So to enable them no. with the Helium narrative and just the kind of that starter pack, do you guys provide that as a business for all these evang evangelical people who are part of the network? Yeah, so, so we actually provide very little, and that's that's by design, and I can sort of describe why that is. So, so it's worth drawing a distinction between sort of two entities. One is the Helium blockchain, right? The protocol, uh, HNT, the, all the code that sort of makes up this, this wireless network. Um, that's all open source. It's all very much decentralized. It sort of operates on its own. It's very much a decentralized open blockchain based on a utility token. Um, and pretty much everything that happens in that realm uh, happens sort of on its own, uh, just sort of pushed and managed by the by the community under the the sort of leadership of this, the the foundation, the decentralized wireless alliance. Um, that all that sort of generally just happens thanks to the ecosystem. Um, Helium Inc., which which of course founded the blockchain network, um, we do very little uh, when it comes to actually enabling people, and that's because the community is is so powerful in doing so. And this was always the plan, right? We thought we'd you know, we, we would have to sort of enable this for, quite frankly, a much longer period of time. But the, the ecosystem and the companies that have come into the ecosystem and the community that operates are just so efficient and, and so rabid, quite frankly, about enabling the growth that we, we actually have to do very little for that. I mean, at this point, um, I'm not sure if you're in our, our Discord server, we've got about 150,000 people in our Discord server. And so um, these people show up every day to to do things as simple as optimize antenna heights, right? So there's a channel for figuring out which antenna to use. Um, if you want to put something outdoors, you go into a different channel and ask questions about, you know, I'm putting this on the side of a, of a mountain, what solar panel do I need, at, at, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we also have a remarkable sort of local grassroots community um, piece to it. So people sort of form groups around specific states, you know, in the United States or specific countries, even down to specific neighborhoods. There's a, a fascinating set of tools from the community that lets you basically connect uh, sort of um, 
in, in the real world, if you want to, with people who are deploying coverage in your same geography, so you can sort of optimize deployments. Uh, so no, so Helium Inc. does very little to enable this. You know, we're not sort of, we're not giving people um, materials. We're not giving people sort of collateral. Um, they're they're learning on their own, right? They're going to Reddit and reading about it. They're going to Discord and they're reading blog posts. If you go to TikTok or YouTube, there's an absurd amount of content on Helium and HNT, but also a ton about um, how to optimize antennas, which antennas to use, you know, how to do a safe antenna deploy, because what's happening is, um, you know, people who knew nothing about wireless and were just interested in the in the blockchain component and the incentive are now becoming very, very knowledgeable on, on all things wireless and sort of signal um, optimization. It's, it's remarkable. So no, we, Helium Inc. does very little. The community manages pretty much the entire process. Wow, this is amazing. I mean, and has how's how's the impact been internally at back at, at back at base at Helium, Helium Inc. I know you guys decided to make the move in 2018 uh, with the funding from Multicoin and and various other believers. But have you guys been surprised with the speed and the uptake and just the general uh, adoption? Oh yeah, uh, we we sort of continue to be blown away daily by by what the network does. If I'm trying to remember. Um, the first hotspot sale, right? So we did a pre-sale for hotspots. We were, we launched it when the company was at an offsite. I think it was somewhere early 2019. Uh, I think it was March, uh, 2019 or April. And we were selling hotspots for delivery in, in July and August and, and, and so on. Um, and a bunch of us had sort of friendly wagers as to how many units we would sell on that first day. And I think I had the highest guess at something like 1,100 units. I think it was maybe 30, 350 or 400 hotspots were sort of sold on the first day. Um, but, but you know, we're, we're now deploying, as I said, about 3,000 or 3,500 of these hotspots every single day across the network. You know, um, it's still very hard to get your hands on a hotspot, even though there's, there's uh, you know, 40 approved manufacturers. We've, we've managed or the community has managed to, to basically bankrupt the entire LoRaWAN hardware uh, supply chain. And that's getting better uh, because, you know, large players like like Semtech, for example, um, have, have built new fabs just to, to build, you know, chipsets for, for the Helium community. Uh, but, but you know, we, we now, uh, the company's still quite small. We're only, I think, 45 or 50 people. Uh, and most of them are on the engineering side. You know, the, the, the sales and marketing org where I fall, um, I think we're about eight or 10 people. And we do have a, a fairly sophisticated sort of um, usage uh, adoption engine. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we do have people that focus on getting usage on the network. And so if you look at our blog or you look at Twitter, or you look at YouTube, we have tons of videos about people actually using the network um, and sort of walking through specific use cases. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, I think if you ask us where, where we would be uh, when we launch this, nobody would tell you we would be this far in the mission. And, and, and now looking at a 100,000 foot context, right? A lot of your mission feeds off this exponential curve around IoT, right? And IoT has been talked about for a number of years. There was kind of a mini winter in the adoption curve, I think a couple of years back, if, if you recall, where mm-hmm. people thought, is this actually going to happen? So in a macro context, what does that look like now? I mean, for example, PatSnap, we have, tons of customers who are hardware providers in that space innovators in that space so we see some really interesting use cases now but generally well how's adoption curve been on like iot in manufacturing in retail is there specific sectors which are moving quicker than others what's what's your macro view 
Yeah, so uh, it's funny. You know, we again back to to proving utility. We used to debate what verticals we should spend a lot of time on. Right? I, I can remember numerous go-to-market exercises where we look across all the different verticals in IoT and try to figure out which verticals we should go we should go after. Um, what has sort of ended up happening is due to again the power of the ecosystem and and the LoRaWAN protocol, which had a very good base of technology before we got into it, and now has just really exploded. Um, all the sort of verticals are, are sort of happening in parallel. So, for example, you know, in LoRaWAN, if you wanted to build a um, you know a supply chain and logistics tracking application for your fleet of 100 trucks, you can now do that with uh, completely off-the-shelf technology. Uh, meaning, you can buy a sensor from one of five different companies. Uh, you can pair that with the Helium network coverage, or deploy some of your own gateways, which which tends to happen um, if you're looking at you know providing coverage in areas where there might not be coverage traditionally, or at least not yet. And then you can pick you know one of five different sort of dashboarding companies, two of whom probably have a dashboard specifically built for supply chain and logistics, um, and you can get this application running in in the course of a few weeks. So um, we're really seeing adoption across all of the verticals. What we're seeing the most, and I think is probably uh, things that look like both consumer and business um, location tracking. So for consumer, think like, you know, we just did a big deployment. I don't think it's public yet. But with a company that makes a, 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 a basically like a, a low jack for scooters, right? So um, I'm not, I think, Ray, maybe you're familiar with low jack, but if you're not, they make sort of location tracking hardware. Typically they use you know, cellular uh, and, and GPS for location. So with, with Helium, you can build that same sensor for much cheaper. And so there's a company now uh, that just did, a, a, I think, a thousand sensor deploy in the Pacific Northwest with these very sort of small hideable trackers that sit on the back of things like, you know, scooters that you might rent for a few hours. Um, and those applications were impossible before because the cost to send that data on a cellular network um, was far too high. The hardware cost to build that sensor was far too high. Uh, and so, you know, that application is huge. And then similarly, we're seeing the same sort of usage patterns, uh, but on the sort of uh, the commercial side where someone wants to track, you know, a fleet of 20 trucks that move between Boston and Washington, D.C. at all times delivering, uh, you know, linens that they might have just washed for a restaurant. Those are some really interesting ones. And so obviously the transportation thematic, yeah, that's looking exceptionally bullish at the moment. Is there any other, other verticals which have caught your imagination and, and are moving quick? in terms of outside of uh, logistics? Um, so we're, we're seeing some some interesting movement in, um, uh, so consumer hardware, for example. So I'll, I'll refer back to the, the rat trap example that I made before. Um, that model, so, so Victor, for example, has always had uh, a connected line of sensors. So they were sort of a first mover in this. Uh, they started with Wi-Fi and people's Wi-Fi networks weren't working too well. And then they looked at cellular and then they sort of landed on LoRaWAN um, and, and the Helium network. And what's really fascinating about that is it's, it's opening up uh, new business models for them. So uh, they uh, traditionally would sell to like a pest control company that would then go service a bunch of different restaurants. Um, and then they would have to sort of sell connectivity along with it. So they'd have to sell a gateway, for example. Um, in a lot of cases now, they don't have to sell the gateway, right? So their cost of business comes, or the, you know, the, the cost of the product actually comes down um, significantly, which makes it a lot easier to sell. In pest control, um, there is a very 
big sort of resistance to paying more than you know two dollars for a snap trap right i think they're 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 helium connected traps one model sells for 50 us and one model sells for uh, 100 and that's you know a 25x increase over the standard sort of wooden trap um, but you know their cost of service is now coming down because they don't have to deploy connectivity when they do have to pull, deploy connectivity um, they actually don't mind doing it because they're deploying helium coverage and they're earning hnt for doing so and so for um, for someone who straddles both sides of the network, right, so they're creating coverage, but also using it, it's a remarkably compelling proposition because when you actually provide coverage, what you're doing is you're earning HNT, but you take that HNT and you use it to actually fund the cost of sending data over the network. And there's, there's without doubt, always an overage there because it's so cheap to send data over the healing network. You know, you can send 100,000 packets for effectively one US dollar. Um, so you're always mining more HNT that you need. Um, and that actually, you know, that accrues to the balance sheet for these organizations. It's, it's pretty wild. So I'm just pausing there because this is fall out of your chair crazy in terms of the business model. So cause I know you're just so used to it. So you're quite relaxed in the way you deliver that because <laughs> you're living and breathing it. Now. <laughs> You're just so like, yeah, this is how it works, Ray, and cool. But to me, I'm literally falling out of my chair here. So even as a user of the network, say I've got a manufacturing, uh, I'm a clothing manufacturer, for example, and I've got a lot of bunch of machines all using IoT capability, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm benefiting from the network in terms of monitoring and productivity, but also it co- it doesn't cost me anything because I, I pay in HNT, but also I earn in HNT for using the network. So, and, and that balance always ends up being more. So, in essence, for getting value for the network, I'm also getting a new revenue stream. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's likely. I mean, we, we generally, um, so much like the community sort of operates. Uh, coverage on their own and people sort of figure out how to use the network on their own. And we, we don't really get involved in sort of suggesting to people that there might be some sort of revenue number attached to this. But inevitably what happens is, you know, IoT sensors, they don't send very much data, right? Even if you have a thousand sensors sending 10 packets, um, you know, every, every minute, uh, you're not really going to use that much data. And again, the way that the network is constructed, because we have the community that essentially takes on the cost of operating and acquiring the hardware to build the network. We can offer to enterprises or the blockchain can offer to enterprises a remarkably low cost of connectivity, this, this data credit. Specifically what it is, is one data credit sends um, 24 bytes of, of LoRaWAN payload, and you can do a lot of stuff in 24 bytes. Um, and so when you do the modeling with these organizations, and I do this a lot as part of my role, you say, you know, you're going to have 100,000 sensors and they're each going to send, you know, 10 packets a day. Um, the cost for your for your full year is going to be this amount of dollars. And, and you know, their jaw drops saying like, well, that's remarkably cheap. And then you say, well, also, listen, you know, you're going to use public coverage for 65 percent of this, but you are going to have to deploy some gateways. If we look at our coverage map, um, you know, the cost of gateways is X, but you are providing something that the network or that the that other customers are using. Uh, and and because of that, the blockchain incentivizes you to do that. And so, yeah, it's it's entirely different. It's entirely new. We do have to do a tremendous amount of education because, you know, um, still a lot of these large organizations are, are very new to blockchain. There's a lot of reluctance. Um, but yeah, it, it's a remarkably compelling model uh, when you get what you want, which is a usable network for your sensors. And then on top of that, um, you're incentivized to keep that coverage running and you're you're incentivized with HNT in the token. It's 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 quite remarkable. Okay, great. So just in, so, so I understand this. So 
I could be a manufacturer. I deploy the Helium network because I've got a bunch of machines. Great. And I'm paying for that, but it's exceptionally good value for, for the return. But then on top of that, your team might approach me as the owner of the factory and say, look, Ray, you should all also run a bunch of gateways. Um, is that in other locations outside my factory and just, just be part of the network because this is a way for you to generate HNT to maybe offset what you're directly paying for it in your, in your own factory? Is that, in essence, the positioning of it? It is. And actually, what ends up happening quite frequently is, uh, you know, the person who's responsible for deploying the project at a given company um, will come back to us very quickly and say, well, uh, how, you know, where can I get another 15 of these? Because we have all these factories uh, that might not have a use case for sensors today, but if I'm going to create the coverage and earn HNT for it, I might as well just start now. And one, one really good example uh, I can give without naming the customer is a, a Fortune 500 company in uh, the United States that does a lot of um, agricultural business. And one of their lines of business is um, they uh, they have this distribution network of um, uh, fertilizer tanks that sort of sit at these large locations and then farmers will come for miles around and fill up their smaller tanks and take it back to their farm. And the tank sits on the, on the farm for, you know, a month or something and they use a fertilizer and they go back and refill it and so on and so forth. Um, and so, you know, they had never done any uh, actual IoT monitoring of these tanks. And they came to us looking for, for help sort of building this. And so we sort of walked them through the technical side of the solution. And then um, we, we started talking about the blockchain and HNT and providing public coverage uh, and went down the path of, of helping them sort of think about how they would deploy coverage on all their locations. And so now, you know, they're, they're very quickly moving down that path. And they're now looking across their entire sort of U.S. infrastructure to figure out where they can put additional hotspots because they've done the modeling on the utility of the coverage where right? they can start deploying these applications, not just the, the tank monitoring application, but pretty much anything else where a sensor can come in handy. But, you know, there is also this, this added um, public network utility component where they're earning H&T for sort of doing that in the process. Uh, and we see that pretty much in, in all of the enterprise deployments that we're doing. Once people wrap their head around the economics and how the network gets deployed, they, they generally go all in and want to deploy as much coverage as they can. Makes sense. And, and, and stepping back, well, this model that you guys have rolled out, what are you competing against? Like, what are you displacing, replacing, or, or removing out of the conversation? Like, what is your competition? So in a lot of cases, and maybe you've seen this with your clients, I mean, some of these applications just weren't possible before uh, that people wanted to build. I, I, in the last month alone, I've heard from four CEOs saying, hey, you know, we couldn't build this case, this application um, before uh, the Helium Network came along because we knew we needed something like LoRa and we didn't want to build the coverage and no one was doing it. Uh, and so, and so you, know, you guys have really saved us in that sense. We even heard the same thing from uh, you know, nationwide connectivity providers that rely on cellular uh, that have always wanted to offer an IoT line of business and, and just could never do it. Um, you know, from a competitive standpoint, if, for most of these sensors, you could look at something like Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. Typically, the range doesn't work or the power doesn't work. You want the, you know, the, the device isn't static, typically, right? You want it to be able to wander uh, 100 yards or a mile or something and still have coverage. Uh, there are, you know, from a pure connectivity standpoint, uh, cellular networks and all the major MNOs and carriers in the U.S. have an IoT offering. Um, and there's a bunch of, of companies that basically use their network to, to sort of productize IoT offerings. 
we see those most uh, in, in the competitive sense. And there are some use cases where uh, the cellular networks are better for a specific device. But generally, um, if you can constrain the amount of data that you have to send um, and you can live with coverage that isn't complete, but is generally where you need it to be and is growing remarkably fast, um, then, then the Helium network is, is going to be a fit for what you're trying to deploy. From a sort of a, a crypto economic standpoint and the utility um, uh, there's there's really nothing out there, right? There's a few uh, other sort of wireless blockchain projects uh, that have a little bit of momentum. Um, they're they're mostly garbage <laughs> between you and me, uh, but there's no sort of pure competitor that does you know that marries the the demand side, uh, you know, which is the sensors and the supply side, which is the coverage. So in essence, you guys have this compelling first mover advantage, a phenomenal team and momentum. And in essence, you've got network effects already, right? You can see the numbers in your Discord community and all yep. the people adding gateway, gateways on a, on a daily basis. And, and so just, just for context, in terms of the classic competition, it might be an MMO who have an IoT offering, but it mm -hmm. might be a very pointed offering focusing on a specific use case and has to move around certain size of data. That's why it's meaningful. But 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 it's very niche and, and focused on specific uh, use cases. That's right. And then you know there there are so in the sort of a, an enterprise sense, the Helium network is is what's referred to as a um, a LoRaWAN network service or like a, a public LoRaWAN network. And so in that space globally, there's probably a hundred companies that offer some commercial LoRaWAN service. There's a few telcos. In, um, in Europe, for example, that have a LoRaWAN service. In the United States, you've got companies like Senate, uh, which has you know very good and robust LoRaWAN coverage. And so, you know, we in the past we used to view those companies as our competitors. What's started to happen is that because we built coverage so quickly, uh, we can now partner with those companies. So, in essence, we've made our competitors our partners, which is pretty fascinating. So, if you look through our, our recent news, we did, we uh, announced what's called a roaming relationship with Senate. Uh, we recently did the same thing with Actility, uh, which is based in, um, I forget which country in Europe they're based in. Uh, but those are the two sort of largest commercial uh, LoRaWAN networks across the United States and Europe. And they're now partners of Helium. And what that means is they plug directly into this public coverage that our community has built. And so sensors that are deployed to their core network can do what's called roam onto the Helium network. Uh, and use our public coverage. So they get access to the largest LoRaWAN network in the world virtually overnight using a, a basically an API integration. And then um, our operators love it because uh, companies like Senate bring customers uh, like um, I forget, oh, Volvo, for example, uh, uses Actility, not Senate. So companies like Actility bring customers like Volvo who actually put devices on the Helium network, drive utility through our coverage and operators of the hotspots that route those packets uh, for Volvo get compensated by the blockchain uh, for providing that coverage. And what happens on the back end is that Actility, after plugging into the network, they pay the blockchain directly for those packets. And then that ends up getting pushed down directly to the hotspot that routed the packet. Um, that's been one of the biggest developments for us when it comes to usage. Uh, I, I firmly believe that roaming partners for LoRaWAN will drive the most usage through the network uh, over the next five to 10 years. You mentioned, is it lower WAN network? So if you could kind of simplify that term, what does oh, that mean? Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, Laura WAN, so L-O-R-A, uh, I believe it's short for long range. It's the naming in the ecosystem is, <laughs> is quite dismal. Um, but yeah, L-O-R-A, Laura WAN is the protocol. Okay, and is that is that a specific protocol which is for 
uh, a lower density of data packets, but kind of for a specific range. So it's kind of more of a, a lightweight entry point. Yeah, compared to something like Wi-Fi, for example, it's optimized for much longer range. Yep. So uh, a gateway, a LoRaWAN gateway, for example, if it's deployed correctly, can provide you know upwards of hundreds of square miles worth of coverage. Mm -hmm. um, but the trade-off you make there is that the, the transmitter, the, the sensor, uh, can only send very small packets, right? So um, hundreds of bytes at the most. So um, you know, the, the, the data profile of the device is relatively constrained. That said, you can do a remarkable amount of things in just a few hundred packets. Yeah, so LoRaWAN is specifically crafted uh, to, to, to enable coverage over huge swaths of, of land um, in huge areas, but for very, very small data. How big is that, Tam, like forward-looking? How big is that kind of that segment going to get, the LoRaWAN segment in terms of, like how far are we in in terms of, number of use cases, number of diverse ways to use that type of data transfer out of a percentage out of a hundred. How, how, how early are we? Oh, I think we're still, you know, sub 10%. I mean, it's, it's incredibly early. Um, you know, the, I'm trying to remember the exact sort of usage stats on the helium network specifically from the last month. Uh, you know, it, there, there's hundreds of millions of packets, right. Flying across the helium network per month. Um, and then we see probably 10x that number of packets from other networks uh, that have devices that we just sort of hear from a coverage perspective, but don't actually route. Uh, but I still think we're sort of remarkably early. I mean, if you read the research reports from the last 10 years, um, they're all projecting, you know, hundreds of billions of devices in the next 10 years. Uh, and we, we haven't gotten there yet. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that the, the low cost connectivity um, for these small computers that have to send data just hasn't been there. But, you know, I think we're remarkably early still. Yeah. So looking out, moving forward, and we, we have so many customers in this space, the mind's going to boggle, isn't it, Mark, in terms of everything will have a sensor. I mean, your the wall in your house will probably have a sensor for some specific use case, probably. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could put, you know, we're seeing some applications where people are putting sensors. There, there's some, there's one company in the LoRaWAN ecosystem that does this already. Uh, you know, they, they embed sensors in concrete, right? So when you pour concrete in a building, they put a sensor in there that can transmit and give you a state of the concrete over time. Um, and as I understand it, you know, the first, you know, when concrete hardens, it's incredibly critical to the sort of success of the building over time. And so, yeah, I mean, you, 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 you know, as, as the cost of, you know, microprocessors, um, continues to sort of go down and the ecosystem for off the shelf sensors increases. You know, I, I don't think I've seen a use case in the last year that didn't have an off the shelf sensor that could satisfy it because most of these companies shouldn't be building their own sensors. But there's very few situations where you need to actually do some innovation on the sensing side at this point. You can get them all off the shelf. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it really does bottle the mind, right? You, you should be able to put a sensor uh, in, in any location to do just about anything. I would argue that you don't need them <laughs> for everything, quite frankly. Uh, some things are better left unsensed, yeah. I guess. Uh, but, but you know, um, they're, they're, it, it's sort of incomprehensible uh, to, to, or I guess um, it's, it's hard to enumerate all the use cases given the potential. Yeah. I mean, is, is there potential hurdles around more demand for larger data packets? So using the LoRaWAN network right now, which is great for distance, but has a relatively low transfer capability. Is there any mm -hmm. challenges around that where the market does evolve and they, they need more, they need a higher bandwidth of data transfer. And so your technology will have to evolve. Is that 
do you think that's around the corner or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, once again, the, the community has sort of already brought us to that point now. So if you, if you look back and, and read the Helium white paper, which actually I'd recommend, it's a pretty short read. Um, a lot of this stuff isn't sort of uh, present in the network as it's described in terms of exact technology, but we always talk about a, a new blockchain for incentivizing the creation of wireless networks. And so the idea long-term was always to build, uh, basically give people the ability to build any type of wireless network using the Helium blockchain. We started with IoT because that's what we knew, right? We had a, a various lines of business that were IoT and sensors, but, but you know, we ultimately, we didn't care uh, about that being the only wireless network incentivized by HNT and the blockchain. And so uh, about eight or nine months ago, a company proposed to the community that we add cellular connectivity, uh, specifically 4G and 5G in the United States uh, to the Helium blockchain. We, we integrate uh, capabilities that would enable handsets and anything with a cellular modem to use the Helium network. And the, the network has a governance mechanism called a Helium Improvement Proposal or a HIP for short. And so anybody can come in and propose uh, you know, changes to the economics or changes to how the technology works. And I think at this point we've had, I think 50 hips that have been proposed by the community. Uh, and so one of the hips was to produce a cellular gateway and integrate HNT earning economics for cellular gateways. And so uh, that work has been ongoing for about a year now, uh, a little under a year. And we're now starting to see the first 4G and 5G capable hotspots deployed in the United States. There's a, a Twitter bot that tracks them all. I think there's something like 5,000 or 4,500 that have been deployed just in the last um, a month and a half. Uh, and there's one approved manufacturer now to make cellular enabled gateways with another four in the queue. And so, yeah, the community is moving very quickly uh, to, to satisfy the, the use cases that require more data. So cellular in the United States, and we'll, we'll probably see cellular outside of the US. Um, it's a little bit tricky for a variety of reasons, which I'm, I'm sort of happy to get into. Uh, but cellular starting now, and we'll likely see Wi-Fi relatively soon. So with the cellular use case, then you're going after the elephants in the room, right? The classic incumbents. So eating into their That's market right. share. I mean, I mean, they're going to be kind of doing what they can, right? To kind of respond. So, like, well, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, y y yes and no. I mean, so, you know, to be completely transparent, um, it's no surprise or people should not be surprised long that we've talked to most of these companies, right? There is a, a we announced a pretty big uh, um uh, partnership with Dish Networks in the United States uh, about three or four months ago, where Dish, uh, alongside Helium uh, and a, a company called FreedomFi, which makes the first cellular-enabled hardware in the United States, Dish has agreed to do what's called roaming onto the Helium network, which basically says, um, okay, you guys are out there building all this coverage. It's, it's impressive, and, and, and we find it useful. Um, in the event that one of our subscribers' phones uses the Helium coverage, we will purchase that handset data from the Helium blockchain. So there's, some, there's already some precedent there for MNOs in the U.S. to find it useful. We've, we've, we've talked to most of the MNOs in the U.S., a bunch of, uh, a bunch of them in Europe, um, even companies you know, that are... Uh, ISPs, right? The the Comcast and Cox and um, that sort of caliber of company. Um, they're they're all generally very curious about Helium, right? Some of them are farther along in conversations than others and thinking through how they might actually use the network. Um, I I would say that um, on some timeline, I think most of them will be friendly to the network. Sure, some will be sort of adversarial, but 
it's just really hard to argue with the economics of how quickly the helium community can deploy useful coverage, right? If you sort of, as, a, as an operator of a business who's always looking to sort of optimize and, and, and cut costs and look for more margin, you really just can't argue against it, right? Um, and so you're sort of better served to figure out how to make use of it and, and potentially integrate versus, you know, get sort of aggressive and adversarial. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it should not be too surprising to most people that we've talked to most of those companies. Yeah, because I'm guessing with the advent of self-driving progressing well, I know the data requirement for that is is very different, right? It, it is a mm-hmm. high density and, and rapid data requirement, especially if you're asking a car to urgently stop uh, in, in a kind of a dangerous situation. So it looks like things are all trending this way, right? Like you've got a lot of macro technological tailwinds and primitives, which should naturally in time, in due course, you'd expansion of the network right like it it seems very bullish on that front that's right and and one of the things that's really driving um uh, so 5g which which has a tremendous amount of promise has to be deployed in a much different way than traditional cellular infrastructure so it's sort of it's much more focused on deploying a lot of small uh, radios or RANs, they're called, or you know, end nodes, essentially. Um, traditionally, you know, telcos have deployed on towers using huge base stations and sort of blasting out as much power as they possibly could across their own spectrum that they've acquired. But 5G is much different, right? You need a lot more saturation. And so what we've proven is possible is that people will deploy this infrastructure in their homes and in their businesses. I mean, if you're AT&T, and you sort of call up a subscriber and say, hey, you know, you want to put this piece of hardware in your house, you know, it costs X amount of money or X amount of dollars, um, and we're not going to give you anything for it. They'll say, no, I'm not going to do that, right? But with with Helium, right, we built in this incentive mechanism where you can, um, you know, buy a piece of hardware, plug it into your house, um, you create better cellular coverage for yourself, you get to use the coverage, your neighbors get to use the coverage. And then from a telco perspective, you know, we've, we've figured out how to get more coverage into locations where they couldn't i mean this is spectacular this is i mean this i know this is at the core of web3 values right like it's the first time in history where the customers get to own the network like it but still the more you more you dig in i mean this is huge mark like what what you guys are doing is, we certainly think it is it's, it's yeah. unprecedented the innovation, the business model innovation, the ramp. Congratulations, Mark. I mean, this is an amazing story. Yeah, I mean, thank you very much for, for the kind words, Ray. And, Ray um, you know, that being said, we still think it's remarkably early for this. Yep. Right? Where, you know, we, we think in, in five to 10 year timelines, uh, it certainly is not going to be uh, a, a change overnight that sort of upends how wireless infrastructure is deployed. But no, it, it is remarkable the sort of force and impact you can build when you give people ownership, right? Um, what's what's really exciting, what we think will make the cellular infrastructure go a lot faster uh, is that with LoRaWAN, when you deploy it, you typically don't have a use for it. Meaning, um, you know, you're an operator of a hotspot, you're providing coverage, you're earning HMT. Um, you can see packets flying through your gateway. You, you can actually see what they are, but, you know, the network tells you that you've been routing traffic and earning HMT for that. But from a, an end user, you're, utility perspective, most, um, this is changing, but traditionally most hotspot operators don't actually use the coverage. Um, with with cellular and Wi-Fi, if we get there, um, you get that, right? You do earn the mechanism, you, you earn HNT, 
you earn the incentive mechanism, you build the public network, but your phone can use it, right? Your computer can use it. You can have a FaceTime call with your mom over, over the Helium-enabled infrastructure that you're providing. And so um, you know, that connection to the infrastructure is entirely unique. Um, there's really nothing else out there like it. Yeah, and with the 5G network, like it, it technically it's all systems go in terms of all, all that hardware risk and development, that's not in the hands of, of Helium Inc., right? That's down to... The, the manufacturer is building out uh, the hardware to enable that connectivity, right? And, and that's progressing nicely. So you've got no issues on that front. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's another another example of how we sort of leaned on existing ecosystems and it really does lend to the decentralized nature of the network. There's, you know, 50 different companies that build uh, high-end uh, cellular hardware that can be deployed in certain different situations. There's a little bit of work that has to be done to sort of get them approved top right on the Helium network. Uh, but at this point, most of that is in software. Uh, but no, there's, there's, you know, we're, we're not building up new sort of sets of hardware specifically for this, this connectivity link. It's all relying on existing prior art. Wow. I mean, so looking out now, now getting to wacky landmark, more in the kind of blue sky <laughs> kind of we, we hear. I, and Michael Saylor, I love his way he describes digital energy, the oscillation of energy, like a hotel where you can slice and dice it a million ways send it across the world and get it back and kind of it becomes an asset. So looking out long-term, say say 2030, right? Or 2032, mm-hmm. what are some of the wacky stuff? I know it's so early and this is pure speculative, but just super innovative. A lot of our listeners are dreamers, innovators. They love looking into the future. That's at the core of what Pat's that do as a business. So what are some of the slightly wild value props or use cases which make you think, Wow, that could actually happen. I'm, I'm quietly bullish on that. Yeah. So, um, you know, we firmly believe that there's a point in, you know, we'll say the five to 15 year time frame where you can access one unified layer of connectivity all powered by the Helium network. That's the ultimate vision, right? So your phone, your computer, any sensor, um, other things that require wireless, all of this um, will sort of be unified under one sort of Helium umbrella. Um, and access to that will be uh, metered by the blockchain and enabled uh, by, you know, applications like so called layer two apps that sort of um, allow access to that connectivity. That's really where we think this is going. Um, and so on top of that, all sorts of, of wild things can be built. I think generally, um, actually, I saw a really fascinating pitch deck recently um, uh, where uh someone was planning to build a, a network of you know transportation assets targeted at consumers call them scooters call them um, bikes call them you know small vehicles that um, the sort of entire network was predicated on the idea that the the purchase and maintenance of these assets would be funded by uh, the community and then people would be rewarded basically for the for the utility of those assets over time um, you know, it's one of those ideas that uh, seems ridiculous when you first read it, but then you say, I mean, this might just work, right? If you give people some very well-built tools to acquire and deploy physical assets and then get compensated as those things are used, um, it might just work. It's not too different from how the Helium Network operates. And so I think um, you're going to see a lot of projects go in that direction. Um, you know, there's an interesting one on the Helium Network. That was just, well, they, they're integrating with Helium. They're called Planet Watch, 
where basically you know, you're you're sort of incentivized to put weather data on the blockchain. There's a token that sort of um, compensates you for providing weather data. Uh, there's another interesting uh, project that does use helium called DIMO, D-I-M-O, that was just announced a few weeks ago, where they're they're making what's called an ODB2 sensor uh, that plugs into to most cars. Uh, made in the last 15 years, provides data back to the, the demo blockchain and then rewards you know, users for actually putting that data onto the blockchain. Um, th- there's, there's so much absurd potential. It's, it's hard to argue against um, projects where users get actual value out of something and then get rewarded for it. I think that's exactly where things are going. Yeah, I think at a first principles level, th- this feedback loop where the community and the customers have participation and equity in the network. Like it's the ultimate model of a good behavior economic, well, behavioral economics, which are driving good incentives, right? Like it's, it's one of the core things which are, are beautiful to, to web free. But Mark, I, I mean, I've really enjoyed the exchange today. I mean, we could probably go on for hours on some of the, the use cases where the business is heading, but, but, this has been a, an enthralling conversation, Mark. I just want to say congratulations to you and the team. I mean, A, you've been there for eight years. That's what I loved about your LinkedIn profile. I was like, wow, Mark's a builder. Basho for X number of years now at Helium. So I just want to say kudos to you and the team for doing doing what you've done. It, it's super inspiring. And, and also, if people want to learn more, where they can, where, where can they learn more about Helium and, and also get in touch with you? Yeah, so, um, you know, helium.com, best place for generally learning about Helium. Um, I think if you would only go one place, I'd recommend to go to the Helium Discord. So um, you can just Google for Helium Discord. It should come up. It's just discord.gg forward slash Helium. Um, and then, you know, there's a whole Reddit hole to go down. You'll end up on YouTube. You'll end up on Reddit. Um, you'll join the DUI community calls and sort of have opinions on where the network is going. Um, but the Discord is, is really the best place to get started. I, I will caution that it's a little bit noisy. And so you have to sort of do some, some work to sort of tune, um, you know, what channels you care about, but definitely recommend Discord. For me, um, you can email me, mark at helium.com. Um, I might respond within a couple of days. If not, it'll be a week or so, so I apologize. And then uh, I'm on Discord, uh, um, Twitter uh, as uh, Fark Millips, P-H-A-R-K-M-I-L-L-U-P-S. I'm, I'm generally on all channels as Fark Millips, but that's me on Twitter. Awesome, Mark. Well, it'll be great connecting with you today, and hopefully we can do part two maybe in Q4 and see how far far you guys have come. But looking forward to maybe connecting later on in the year. Yeah, absolutely, Ray. Love to be back. Nice one, Mark. Thank you. And there you have it, everyone, for today's episode with Mark Phillips. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, be sure you're subscribed to the podcast. If you love today's episode, then share this podcast out with a friend or colleague who you feel like would truly benefit from listening to today's podcast with Mark. Again, for listening to today's episode, you can grab Pat Snap's number one Amazon best-selling ebook, The Definitive Guide to Connected Innovation Intelligence, where in this ebook, we explore what CII is, who it's for, and how the world's disruptors are using it to win in hyper competitive markets and to download your free copy of this ebook all you have to do is go ahead to patsnap.com or click the link in the description of this podcast to grab your free copy today thank you again for listening to today's podcast we'll be back next week with another one continue to embrace your childlike wonder and stay curious